Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome back in once again. It is the Believe and Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Patriots 5-6 and six, traveling to Los Angeles for the first of two games. I feel like it's baseball series. First of two games in L.A., Pats will take on the Chargers on Sunday, and then they'll take on the Rams on the following Thursday. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Brady Farkas, at WDEV Radio Brady. Our co-host, Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, two-time former Patriots quarterback, is Doug Flutie. Twitter and Instagram, at Doug Flutie. Aaron Wells is our producer as well, and the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Don't make the mistake I made last week. If you got a good feeling on something, if you've got a gut on something, then take it all the way. Put it down. Do it responsibly. Spreads, game totals, over, under, coaching bets, prop bets, NBA futures bets. we got the season starting in less than a month. Unbelievable. College hoops is going again. BetOnline.ag. Aaron, let's get to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insight on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now, it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Once again, it is the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Brady Farkas, and we welcome in Doug Flutie. Doug, how are you? I'm doing good, thanks. How's it going? Good. The the you know we don't put out the podcast on video. We just take a few of the videos for social media, so most people won't see this like I see this. Uh, you look very tan. How much surfing have you done in the last couple of days? <laughs> Actually, we had a couple of really good days back to back this weekend, so it was pretty fun. Yeah, well, we were out, I was out. In the, I was out for quite a while this week. Well, good for you. Um, although it did get up to 60 in Vermont this week on uh, on Tuesday. So what the hell do I know about December weather? But that feels very good for you to go surfing. Um, before we get ready for Patriots Chargers, I did want to wrap up something on Patriots Cardinals. I had something on the mind I wanted to bring up. We just didn't have time to get to it. So I've been sitting on this for a few days. Arizona was up 10-7 right before the half. They go for it on fourth down. Fourth and goal. They run pretty basic power run play. They hand the ball to Kenyon Drake. We had talked to Ed Smith in the last podcast. Aaron, I want you to play this cut. Ed Smith, who does the Believe in Cardinals podcast, I asked him what he thought about the decision to go for it. Here is what he said on our podcast uh, earlier in the week. I agree with it if you come in, you know, hindsight 2020 vision, but I agree with it if you come with a more exotic play, something that, you know, that, that play they ran was so generic. And then, you know, you miss that opportunity to put points on the board and you end up losing by just a couple points. That could have been a difference in the game. Okay. So Ed Smith says he likes the decision to go for it. He wanted a more creative play, a more exotic play. I ask you, Doug, you're Mr. Trick Play. You're Mr. (laughs) Spread Offense. You're Mr. Let's get cutesy and let's be artistic. Should the Cardinals have run a more creative play 
or at some point do you have to be able to line up and run six inches? Yeah, knowing me, I like having options. I like if Kyler Murray could have maybe read defensive end. Are they closing down? What is the pre-snap look? Can I pull it? Can we run a bootleg? Give your best athlete the chance to have a few decisions to make, a couple of different options. That being said, you go by the looks that you've been getting in goal line. They were down on the goal line for four plays. They they get in there, they see certain opportunities and decide this is our best opportunity. Did they go six two goal line or were they down on the five man front with the guys off the or the playing man cover? What are they doing? So that goes into making your play call. And it all, you know, I, I really didn't examine what the defensive front was on the play and, and what exact defense the Patriots were in. Honestly, going into it, I'm thinking. I need Kyler Murray to make a decision. That would be, you know, my first instincts were bootleg him or zone read him of somehow where he could pull it and dump it or or something that has options so something cannot be flat out taken away. But when those cute plays get run and get stuffed, we crush everybody for it. I know you didn't watch it as close as I did this week, but Seattle and Philly played on Monday. Seattle has fourth and goal at the two in the first quarter, and they run this jet sweep toss shovel pass to their slot wide receiver. I'm like, line up and hand the ball to your back and trust that you can get, in their case, two yards, but in the Cardinals' case, get six inches. Like, I still believe come playoff time, you can be as cute as you want September through November. After Thanksgiving, let's line up and run power football a bit. Well, you don't want to lose yardage down there on third down, second down. You want to, you know, the mindset going into the play calling is, are we, do we have four plays to stick this thing in the end zone? Because if we do, I'll just quarterback sneak with Cam Newton four times in a row from the three and we're in. Yeah. And that, you know, the Patriots were down there and they took that mentality. Cam did a sneak and got stuffed. And then they got cute and he tried to put the foot back like he's going to do a quarterback sneak and toss sweep and Harris gets the edge and just gets to the pylon. And, and they, so they get a little cute by getting on the edge. So I, I think there's a mentality that goes into it where, and I always said, if we're inside the three, we're running the, run the ball four times and we'll get in. But if you are going to throw, you do the play action or get cute on first down because that's the first downs where they got to defend the run and you can get that layup of just you know, having a guy wide open. Other than that, you're usually hammering the ball in. Can these cute teams win what it counts? I mean, all this, you know, look, the greatest show on turf, lost to the Patriots mm-hmm. and the Sean McVay Rams were like an artist and they lost to Bill Belichick. Can you be this cute all regular season and then win what it counts? Cause at some point you're going to get hit in the mouth and these cute teams can't always respond to it. I think, he, well, you know, you're, if you're not playing in nasty weather, you can, you can still finesse people and, and do that wheeling and dealing stuff. The problem is you run out of place. Like they've seen everything. And we go back a couple of weeks, Patriots came out and moved the ball really well in the first quarter, first half. And I thought they ran, they ran reverse. They ran double pass. They ran this, they ran that. And I'm like, Josh is going to run out of plays. You can't trick them for four quarters. You got to line up in smash mouth at some point or line up and run your standard stuff. And that's, you know, you run out of ways to trick people. And at some point, as you said, you do have to be, you have to have, you have to have the ability to do the other. Even if you wind up calling the shovel pass or the zone read or the RPO down there, you have to have the ability to make them worry about the straight dive or the straight power or well, else you're not going to get away with it. 
I think in Arizona's case, NFC playoffs, if they get in, look, there are some favorable climates for them to go to, right? Rams are a warm weather climate. You could get away with it. Saints are in a dome. You could get away with it. But if they've got to go to Seattle or to Green Bay, I really question if they could play this way in January. And that's why I like the idea. Look, let's challenge my football team and let's see if we could pick up fourth and six inches. And they couldn't do it. Yeah. And I, and even though Kyler Murray is a small quarterback, I still think he could be very good at quarterback sneak stuff. And because all Tom, that was one thing that made Tom great was knowing where the open gap is all the time on quarterback sneaks and when they get to it. You you call power O, but if they're leaving a gap open, he would just, you know, audible quick bang, hit it and slide in there. Uh, That's a big part of it. Talk about cold weather. Kyler Murray might struggle. I, I know for me, early in my career, I struggled in cold weather because of grip on the ball. Yeah. Throwing the ball, doing the, the sidearm stuff and the falling away stuff and all that becomes a lot more difficult in cold weather. I learned to throw with gloves on and my grip – and it wasn't because my hands got – well, they, they get cold, but it still gave you the consistent grip. That's what the glove was about. Not keeping your hand warm, but the consistent grip. And then you can still do some of that stuff. So I think – I think that could be difficult for Kyler Murray in cold weather games. Uh, you know, smaller guy, smaller hand. Taking a snap from center was tough for me when the weather got cold. I was smiling the other day, by the way. Kevin Burkhart was the broadcaster on Fox. They're talking about Kyler Murray drifting and he's falling back. And, <laughs> and you sent me a video during the game, Chuck and Duck, where Murray gets hammered. And he still mm-hmm. throws it off. I'm like, like if you had just been listening to the Believe in Patriots podcast for six weeks, you we're all in on quarterbacks who drift. Yeah. I love the Chuck and Duck technique. <laughs> you know, I, the honest story. Penn State recruited me, and I remember watching film with Nick Saban actually wow. in the uh, in my at my high school in the back room, dark dungeon, whatever. We're watching film, and Nick liked me, but he came back from, and the other coaches thought I was afraid to get hit. He said, you know, that's they just they thought you were afraid to get hit because I would chuck and duck and fall out of the way. I thought it was just being smart. You know, <laughs> you're not having to stand in there and get drilled in the jaw. You just avoid, you know, the ball's gone, the ball's gone. I'll duck out of the way. And that's what Kyler Murray's doing. It's self-preservation. It's drift away. You know, he's doing things drifting to buy time to make throws, but he's athletic enough, as is a Patrick Mahomes, to make these throws and avoid the hit at the same time. Is there an NFL Network football life on you? Like, hey, championship here, Heisman Trophy there, film with Nick Saban. Like, what haven't you done? I don't, you know, Nick brought, I didn't remember that it was Nick. And we were at Heisman one one year and we were just talking. I Maybe Art Mark Ingram won the Heisman that year. And he says, you know, we recruited you when I was a grad assistant or whatever at Penn State. Now, you and I watch film together. I'm like, oh, that, I remember doing that. Wow. I didn't remember that it was Nick Saban, and uh, <laughs> that that was pretty cool. That that yeah, when we started chatting about that a little bit, um, I remember slowing because I always watched film kind of slower at a slower yeah. speed, and he would always just speed it up. He knew what he was looking at, right? And mm-hmm. I don't, so I have to slow. And he he watched it at a. I remember from that that film session that he watched it at a much faster pace than I ever did. Wow, unbelievable! Um, all right, so the book is closed on Patriots Cardinals. Now we're going to Patriots Chargers. Doug, you played for the Chargers for four years. It was in San Diego mm-hmm. at the time. Overall, what was your experience like in San Diego? Uh, I absolutely loved it. Love. I mean, we weren't a great football team. Actually, we were the second year. Drew Bree or it was Drew's second year so my third year there we were good and we got beaten the playoffs because we 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 couldn't kick field goals but (laughs) (laughs) um 
Yeah, Drew Drew had a heck of a year. Um, but I loved my experience in San Diego. Uh, the the city itself, being around the the people, the organization. I loved it. It was it was a great fit. We started out, my, and I went out there as the. It was the first time in my career I actually went somewhere as the starter. Yeah. And we, we started out five and two, and we were cruising, and then we had a ton of injuries, and we just went on a losing streak that wouldn't end. After all the years in New England, Buffalo, Chicago, Canada, what was it like to play in a warm weather place? I thought of it as a reward at the end of my career. <laughs> it's like, thank you. No lie. I played in Calgary. I played in Chicago, Buffalo, New England. It was, you know, all the eight years in Canada total. It was, it was the first warm weather place I'd ever played. It was like, this is great. We're out there in December practicing in shorts. Yeah. And I'm like, this is now see if I'd been doing this all along, maybe I'd want to play longer. I don't yeah. I just remember being 43 years old, my last year in New England, and I'm laying on the ground and snowing and kind of misty rain and we're stretching. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, it's like 20 degrees and gross. And uh, I, um, yeah, that was a, it was a reward at the end of my career. And that's the way I viewed it. You know, West Coast fans are often viewed as soft. Um, it's certainly softer than, than East Coast fans, New York fans, Philly fans, Boston fans. Did you notice a big difference between your experience? You played some great football cities, New England, mm -hmm. Chicago. Did you notice a difference in the fan treatment out West? Yeah, it wasn't as hardcore. There's no doubt it wasn't as, as all. There's a lot more to do in San Diego than go to a Chargers game. You know, they got other options. Uh, they, there were the diehard Charger fans, no doubt about it. They loved, you know, Junior Sale was still playing, Rodney Harrison, uh, guys that they loved that – uh, been a big part of their lives for many years. And, um, you know, they cared about the chart. They, their, their hearts broke when the chargers left to go to LA. Yeah. Um, no doubt about it. it. It's still not right to me. It just feels weird. Um, but you know, not as many diehard fans, just not as many. What was young Drew Brees like? Cause you got to see him <laughs> very beginning of his career. Yeah. Drew, um, Drew came in, he, he and I were very similar personalities that everything was a competition and everything was a game. We do little kicking games. I, hmm. I, he and I would go take batting practice together and throw to each other, stuff like that, play some pickup basketball. Um, I, I say this about Drew. When I was starting his rookie year, Drew was a guy that he would fall asleep in meetings because his attention wasn't there. You know, you know he's not on the screen. He, in that first off season, Drew got his blood tested. He found out what he's, he, what he, they say, what you're allergic to. Yeah. And, you know, what you were proficient in, what you needed, what you did deficient in. Um, and he came back that second year and he was sharp as a tack. Hmm. He was, he was all in all the time. He really was one of the first guys, it was early on in really spending money on what goes into your body, you know, the, the, I don't know, the whole nutrition end of it and all that. It was early in that game. And I was still stopping at McDonald's on the way to the facility and yeah. grabbing a pizza afterwards. <laughs> but he was, you know, he, he got into this regiment where he was eating healthy and doing everything the right way and doing, he was all in. And uh, it was night and day from his rookie year where he didn't play at all to his second year where he became the starter. I think that's amazing that you were and him were hanging out like that because you're a veteran player. You want to be the guy. I could easily see trying to shove out the young guy, trying to keep him in the dark. I mean, jo Joe Flacco no. said when he went to Denver, it's not my job to train true lock. My job is to be the quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And I had zero problem with that. I don't think you have to hold the backup's hand 
um, who, especially the backup, wants to take your job. I think that's a pretty big thing of you to be friendly with Drew Brees like that. Uh, I, I, it was a natural fit. Drew and I got along great. And I I didn't feel, I don't know, I didn't feel threatened. I was. I knew he was a first-round draft. He's going to become the starter whenever. Um, and I, I shoot, I remember the first game we're playing against the Redskins. I was struggling early, but we were still right in it. And then all of a sudden, a couple things click and we we're up. And I remember having the conversation with him on the sideline. It's like, just, you know, you don't have to score on every possession. You don't have to push the envelope early. You, you know, it's a long game, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, he and I had a lot of those kinds of conversations. And I didn't, I really don't remember trying to wrap my arm around him and teach him. Yeah. But, you know, he's come back over the years and, and brought up these instances where I said things to him or we did things or where stuff rubs off or, you know, you're just having that conversation. And, uh, you know, when he took over, there was no animosity in my part at all. I, I love Drew. Hmm. And uh, I was, I, he, his third year there, we were, we were a playoff team and we were good. We were darn good. Uh, we just lost the playoff game we shouldn't have lost. Well, you've told the story before about playing with both Walter Payton and LaDainian Tomlinson. So, I mean, we've kind of gone down that road a bit, but what was it like to watch LaDainian Tomlinson every day, day in and day out, especially early oh, in his career? It was early in his career, his rookie year, and I'm the starter. Um, I remember playing the Patriots in San Diego, and he had two long touchdown runs. And one of them, the first one, probably a 60-yard run. I just hand it off. He's like, there are two unblocked guys in the hole. I mean, Teddy Bruschi and somebody else, probably Vrabel. And he did a little sidestep and jumped between the two of them, split them, stayed mm -hmm. in the hole, and went 60-something yards for a touchdown. And I was like, I was just, wow. We're playing in Detroit, and he runs this little angle route out of the backfield, little five-yard pass, little you know, stick the linebacker like you're going to go to the flat and go inside shoulder, 60-something yard touchdown, 52, one was 75. I had two completions to Ladanian for 130 yards, and I threw the ball five yards. It, it was his acceleration, his quickness. He became a good pass protector. He was great in the pass game. He, he, I, he wowed me as a rookie, his pure athleticism and the things he could do. Um, right away, in my head, I was talking to myself as Pete, Walter Payton. Yeah. Given where you played and when you played, I – don't know officially that you ever went up against Barry Sanders, but Ladanian Tomlinson reminds me of Barry mm. Sanders. Did you play against Barry? I don't think I ever played against Barry unless Barry was out. 86 with the Bears we played in Detroit. I think he was Heisman like 88. I, I yeah, think. yeah. So I, I don't think I ever played against Barry, no. Wow. But crazy. I love that. I mean, his, and I say this all the time, He's, his jump cuts and yeah. the way he moved, there's a guy that played with me in Toronto named Mike Pinball Clemens, who was a lighter, smaller version of Barry and moved the same way and was like that, that kind of runner. And that, but Barry was a lot stockier and stronger. Wow. Well, uh, Aaron, let's get to first impressions. First impressions. All right. First impression for me really is this game's all about Justin Herbert at this point. Like the Chargers are three and eight. They have some great players, right? Joey mm -hmm. Bosa's phenomenal. Uh, Keenan Allen's great. Austin Eckler's great. But it's all about Justin Herbert. We kind of did some of this at the end of the last podcast, but I'll ask you again, Doug, are you surprised at how quickly young quarterbacks are getting it now early? And I don't know if it's because 
the rules are simpler and safer. The technology is better. I don't know what it is, but young quarterbacks are getting good a lot quicker now. Yeah, I think the the, the reason for it, number one, they're exposed to a lot more in college. They're uh, shoot, kids that grow up playing Madden are ahead of the game from where I was in college. They, knew, yeah. they, know, they know fronts and coverage. They know fronts and coverage from playing video games. But anyway, the off-season stuff that they do now, they so much more work during the off-season, so many more reps. By the time they come around to their first training camp, they know the offense already. Um, so I think they get a much better head start on everything than we did. We had one mini camp, three days, basically in shorts and T-shirts with no hit, no hitting, and then boom, you go to training camp. Um, these guys spend a lot more time during the offseason, so they're up to speed a lot quicker. The uh, I don't know the workouts, the, the the conditioning, the nutrition, all that stuff that they've done most of their lives prepares them. They're so far ahead of the game coming out of college than we were back when I played. They they, they do so much more in the college game that that lends itself to the NFL game. But they're they're definitely exposed to it. They get put in to a fire right away. And a lot of them can handle it. Like I said before, though, the, the athletic guys can cut the corner and do some yeah. other things that aren't so um, complicated. But uh, the guys like Justin that come in and, and stand in the pocket and throw the ball, it's, it's pretty impressive to see them first year do well. As we're taping this, Anthony Lynn is still the head coach of the Chargers. A lot of speculation on whether or not that's going to remain the case. Um did you ever have a situation where you knew your coach was coaching for his job? What does that do to a player? It's the weight of the world. It really, it really, you feel it. You know, you know, you love your head coach. You do. There was my, my first year in San Diego, Mike Riley was the head coach and they were saying that the entire season, he made it through the season. I was in British Columbia in the CFL where we had a coach fired midpoint of the season. That's the only time I've ever had that happen. And as we lost a few games in a row, you could feel the pr everybody pressing, everybody just. And then the day that they cut the coat or they, they made the change, even though they hadn't hired a new head coach yet, it's like the weight of the world was lifted and everyone just went out and relaxed and played. And it, there, it was no fault of the head coach. It was just you feel that pressure that he's feeling and the tightness and the intensity of every meeting and every conversation, it's like life and death. And it feels that way. And then all of a sudden the weight of the world gets lifted and you just relax and go out and play. And it's not fair, but it does happen. Did you ever, you say you love your head coach. I bet that's not the case for everybody. Matthew Stafford had a chance last week to go to bat for Matt Patricia and he didn't. He just basically said, next question. Um, did you ever have a coach? You don't have to name names, but did you ever have a coach you wouldn't get behind? Um, no, because the guy that did get fired, uh, I, I, I honestly did not think was a, was a great head coach at all, Yeah, but I would never have not supported him or had his back when, as a player, hmm. you know, I, I, you know, especially, you know, publicly, you don't do that. That is a different time. It was a different era, I guess, where now they, they don't get enough balls thrown their way. They get on Twitter right away and are complaining, <laughs> you know, I, it's it's a different world now, but no, I would never, even if I really didn't get along with the head coach, even if there was an issue there, you support, you know, you're all in this together. It's hard to win football games. It's hard to play on a good football team and a great coaching staff. And it, it just, it's so hard to get everything to come together. You have to support each other. I was going to ask you kind of about that. It's not so much just about coaches, but 
one of the things I've liked about Cam all year is Cam just says the right thing. He's accountable. He doesn't blame anybody. He doesn't go after anybody. He wears it on himself, even when it's not his fault. And when it is his fault, he doesn't hide from it. How important is it as a quarterback to simply say the right thing? Uh, it, I think more than saying, the, yes, definitely. You know, publicly, you're always saying the right thing. But even around the locker room, on the practice field, your work ethic and the way you carry yourself is even more so. Um, you know, the fact that they lost a couple there in a row and Cam doesn't have flashy numbers and he's not going to have flashy numbers, but the guys see the way he works. They see how hard he plays. He puts his shoulder down and runs for first downs. Like I said, he was like under, he was about 50 yards passing in the middle of the fourth quarter this week. Yet in the fourth quarter, they're calling quarterback runs. He makes a big run on third and long and gets out of bounds and gets hit and makes the play that sets up the winning kick. He's doing whatever he can to help this team win, and the guys the guys respond to it. They really do. It, it makes a big difference. Aaron, let's end the podcast on this note. Um, I want you to grab the Field Yates cut. So I was talking with the ESPN NFL insider Field Yates on my radio show earlier in the week, and we talked about Cam and leadership and – the future and all that. Aaron, let me hear uh, Field Yates talking about Cam. Um, I think it's actually a reasonable move. Uh, and I will say this, Brady, is that it's not perfect with Cam. It's far from perfect right now. But there's a lot to be said for leadership, poise, growth, development, character. Cam Newton has been, and I know the Patriots, maybe they're, they're stealing this year is eight or nine wins. But I sort of shudder to think what they would look like without Cam Newton this season. So it's weird to think about that because we look at Cam in a lot of ways and think he's limiting this team. They are limited with him. But then when Field said that, I really started to think, you know what? I think he's right. I think this team is uplifted by Cam in different ways, right? Like Brady used to just get the best out of everybody physically. He extracted every ounce of skill that you had. I don't know that. I don't think Cam can do that, but he does have guys believing in him. He does have guys that want to play alongside him. And you talk about having guys back. I got to imagine that that matters a lot in the NFL. No doubt about it. And we got to look at this team without Cam when he had COVID. Yes. He was out for a week. It wasn't pretty. Um, I think when you heard the conversations and things Bill Belichick said about Cam throughout the offseason and his work ethic and the way he carried himself and how prepared – you know, it's still a first year offense for him. So he's not going to be the master of everything like Tom was in his 15th year, whatever it is. Um, but the guys respond to him. Uh, the guys respond. You, and, and I think it comes down to seeing when it's fourth and one and they do quarterback sneaks and, and Cam's carrying guys three yards to make sure he gets a first down or puts a shoulder into people and third down conversions. And he's doing whatever he can to help this team win. And they are uh restricted in certain areas they're not going to be the explosive offense that's going to score 40 a game they're going to have to we talked about the thin margin of error that yeah. they have with the way they're playing and that's just the way this team is they're not going to be the most talented team in the league but they're going out fighting their tail off and winning football games i think i look at it and i'll kind of leave you with this question or comment i think the young guys on this roster they respond to Cam because they look at him like a hero. They saw him win the Heisman, win the championship, be the MVP, played with him as video games, wore his jersey. Young guys will play hard for that guy. But the veterans on this team, I think they look at Cam's resume and say, hey, you've been to a Super Bowl, you've won the MVP, you've made a lot of money, and you are really, really um, 
you're a, a, a huge longtime staple in this league. I think everybody then is willing to play for Cam. And I, I, I don't know that that would be the case with Jared Stidham, with a second-year rookie. I don't know that the rookies would look at him with that kind of reverence and that the veterans wouldn't look at him like, hey, kid, like, who are you? Yeah, I, I think if Stidham were playing, he'd have a short leash. You know, it would just be uh, a game, game and a half, struggling. Okay, next, you know, who's up? Yeah. As they did with Hoyer when Hoyer got in and didn't play well. Um, Cam's proven that he can win. He's, you know, especially for young players, like you said, a young player looking at Cam is going to be in awe. It's like, oh, I get to play. It's like guy saying, oh, I get to play with Tom Brady. I get to play with Cam Newton, the guy they idolized. And the veterans have to respect some of the stuff he's done over his career, no doubt. And to see a guy in that position that's won uh, MVP, that's been in a Super Bowl, that's that's had some winning seasons, play as hard as he plays and, and carrying the football. Is, is what impresses me more than anything is because it, it's doing whatever he can possibly do to help this team win. And guys respond to that. They see it in the huddle. They see it in his eyes and his determination. You know, things aren't always going to work out. And I was very happy for Cam this week because finally that fourth down, that fourth quarter drive at the end of the game, it came through. You know, they, they got the big play, converted on the long yardage play and got the penalty, got field goal range and win the game. And I think that was a big step. Well, I'm working to uh, – so the Believe in Chargers podcast host is your old teammate, Lorenzo Neal, um, the fullback. He's also a radio host in San Francisco. I'm working to get him on my radio show, and if I do, maybe I'll even go retroactively and put it back in to this podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, Lorenzo, you got to play with, like, Lo- one of the last great fullbacks. Oh, Lo Neal was awesome, man. I had Sam Gash in Buffalo yeah. and, and Lorenzo Neal in San Diego. And Lo, I, I love him. Oh my God. I run into him every year at Super Bowl on Radio Row. And yeah. it's like a, it's like a class reunion, big hugs and talk. And I'll get on there. We just start yapping like a bunch of little high school girls. I, I can't say that. Kids. Yeah. And we all we all yap. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, it, it, Lo's great. Love him. Um, we had some good times together. We had some winning seasons. And uh yeah, he's, he he knows his chargers now. Well, when I think about fullbacks of the the late 90s, early 2000s, Sam Gash, Lorenzo Neal, Mike Allstott, and my guy when I grew up in Seattle, Max Strong. So those are my – I mean, we would run lead. Lead is double team, double team on the down guys and the fullback up on the middle linebacker. And the collisions with with Low Neal and Sam Gash, you can hear – I'm handing the ball off, and I hear hear that collision. I know that was the fullback blocking the Mike linebacker. It's just loud. And you, uh, they loved it. They loved it. How do you feel as a quarterback? You hand the ball to LT 300 times a season. Lorenzo Neal gets one carry. Like, come on. Don't you ever want to get those guys a little more work with the ball in their hands? <laughs> the play for them was power. Uh, <laughs> what do they call uh, what? Spider two Y banana, right? Yeah. That, that's their play because it looks like power. O. it looks like he's going to go kick out that defensive end. And then he slips them and runs in the flat. You go hard play action and, you know, the, the corner route's run by the tight end, but the fullback's in the flat. And when he pops, he pops good. You just dump it to him. That's that's their glory play. They absolutely love that. Nothing says more late 90s, early 2000s uh, than a fullback, Lorenzo Neal wearing number 41. And I think Lorenzo Neal wore the neck roll 
at yeah, one yeah. point in his career. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that was late 90s, early 2000s football. So um, that's it for us on this one. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Patriots 5-6 and six, looking to get to 500. I don't have my final score pegged yet, so check me on social media for that. But here I got news for you. Patriots are going to win again. They're going to be six and six. We're going to be sitting here next week talking playoff scenarios. So playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. (laughs) Talk about playoffs. What serious playoffs? I'm Brady, WDEV Radio Brady. Aaron Wells is our producer. Doug Flutie is our quarterback as well. And uh, you can follow him Twitter, Instagram at Doug Flutie. Until next time, everybody, go Pats. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.